Welcome to Revealed Truth, the audio outreach ministry of Moores Creek Baptist Church. I am Pastor Roger Barnes, and I invite you now to join me as we open the Bible, God's Revealed Truth. If you happen to have your Bibles with you this morning, or you have one in the pew in front of you, if you would turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 with me, I want to reflect very quickly on a couple of thoughts about this, this table, this communion, this Lord's Supper. Once you have found that 1 Corinthians chapter 11, if you'd be so kind as to stand with me in the reading of the honor of the reading of God's word this morning, let's look at that 23rd verse where it reads like this. For I received from the Lord that which also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do, as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. And then he ends this by saying, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Father, this morning we have just been overflowing uh, rejoicing in you because of the baptism and remembering in our own hearts that which you did in our life. And the day that we were baptized into the body, recognizing how you had changed us internally by the saving and the washing of the blood from your son, Jesus Christ. And this morning, Father, as we come to this table together, as we come bound together as the body of Christ, remembering that we were unified in baptism, Father, let us now reflect on that which this table represents. For everywhere in Scripture, on almost every page in Scripture, you speak of this table in one fashion or another, for this table represents for us the gospel. So this morning, Father, as we approach your throne of grace, forgive us of our sins. And trust us, Father, with the gospel to go out into the world. Make very little of me this morning, Father, and very much of you, that you may be seen in all of your glory in this place. This we pray in the name of your precious Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. If you've been with me very long here, you realize that uh, communion holds a very special place in my heart. It holds a very special place in my heart because if you heard just as I, as I just prayed, communion can be seen on almost every page of Scripture. It can be seen in almost every chapter of Scripture. It can be seen definitely in every book of Scripture. The reason being is because what lays before me on this table is a representation of the gospel. And the Bible, from page number 1 in Genesis 1-1 to the very last page of the book of Revelation, is about one thing, the gospel, Jesus Christ. It points us to Jesus Christ. From, from the symbolism in the book of, of uh, uh, Genesis, when it showed that man was placed into a garden that was perfect in the presence of an almighty God, so we realized they were sinless at that point, and, and they communed with him, and they fellowshiped with him in the garden, and then man took it upon himself to decide that there was a better way than that which God had instructed them. And they stepped up to a tree that was forbidden of them, and they did one simple thing and ate of the tree. And we may think, you know, eating of the tree, it's awful bad that he would condemn all of humanity for eating from the tree. That's not why the condemnation came. The combination came because man thought that he was God and God was not. Because God had said, do not eat from the tree. And man had said, I know better than you, God. And when you do that in your heart, what are you saying? You are saying, I am God and you are not. All of humanity has been condemned through the action of the first Adam, the first Adam, in taking of the fruit. Not the eating of the fruit being the key, that being symbolic of what they had done in their heart, which was override God, which made them God of their own lives. What was the penalty of that? 
death, separation from God. We realize that because when God came back down into the garden some days later, he called out, Adam, Adam, where are you? It wasn't because God didn't know. It wasn't because God didn't know. God knows all things. God knows all things. From the very crevices of our heart to the deepest parts of our mind, God knows all things. He called out to Adam so that Adam would realize there was a separation. There was something between them. And it was sin. It was sin in their life. And we see there that God slew an animal, took the blood from that animal, the flowing of the blood from the animal forgave their sins, and he wrapped them in the covering from the height of the animal as a symbolism of something. A symbolism of something. Something that was symbolized in the Passover feast, something that was symbolized in Leviticus when we look at the feast of the church, something that was symbolized again in the Day of Atonement, something that was symbolized all through the Old Testament. Symbolized. But then came the New Testament, the New Covenant. The symbol of what had happened came to life, and His name was Jesus. See, all these old things had to be done every year. The Day of Atonement, it wasn't a one day. It was a one day a year. had to be done yearly because there was no sacrifice that could be found that would do away with the sins of man but God. Aren't you glad there's words in the Bible? But God, my favorite words. almost thought there for a second on my tombstone, I would love for it to say, but God. Because it's but God that made all the difference in the world. But God decided that there was a way. He had planned from eternity past, showed in the symbolism to the Old Testament believers, showed through all of that the symbolism of it. And here in the New Testament showed up this man who was God, and his name was Jesus. The fulfillment of all, all that had been shown in the Old Testament. That's how I could say on every page of Scripture, in every chapter of Scripture, in every book of Scripture, we see the gospel. All the way back to the writings of Genesis, we see the gospel. Because they all pointed forward to this man named Jesus. At the end of the synoptic gospels, we see this Jesus hanging up on a cross. This representative behind me on the wall. This cross with outstretched arms, with feet pointing toward man on the ground, with a head pointing towards his only begotten Father, our Father, God in heaven. His arms stretched out as if to say, my arms are large enough for all of you. My arms are large enough for all of you. He hung on that cross and he died. He died. He died at the hand of a God that loved us. Make no mistake, man did not take Jesus' life. Jesus gave up his life. It means God was in complete control. Why? Because it was the fulfillment of all that we saw in the symbolism of the Old Testament. It was a symbolism. It was God saying there needs to be an atonement for your sin that will take care of your sin forever. And he says, I know how to do that. I'll send my only begotten son. And at the appropriate time, in the right moment, Jesus said, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Not into your hands comes my spirit because they killed me. He said, into your hands, Father, I come in my spirit. I give myself for these people. How do we know that that was the thing he did? Because he said, Father, it is finished. All that happened on earth, all that he did on earth, all of the Old Testament symbolism was finished. There was a new covenant. There was a new covenant. There was a new covenant that salvation only comes through the blood of Jesus Christ. 
through us recognizing that we are sinners in need of a Savior and it being washed clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. It comes to the new covenant of Jesus Christ being buried in a tomb, rising three days later for life, making us realize that it, Him being the Lord and the Savior of our life rises us from the dead as we symbolize in baptism. Being buried in death with Christ, rising to be a new man, both on this earth but a new man for all of eternity in a place called heaven. This the symbolism. How's that pointed out to us in, in what lays before us? I think there's several things we see, and we'll talk very quickly about those. But the first thing that I recognize in this table that lays before me, as it says in remembrance, or remember that which I did. The first thing, the most obvious thing that Jesus Christ did for each of us was to offer us forgiveness. Have you ever just in all of your life just desired to be forgiven of something? To have a relationship back with someone because of something that you did. Just desire to have someone look at you that you know that you've heard and say you are forgiven. And understand that when they say you are forgiven, it doesn't mean that you owe them anything. They've chosen to forgive you. We know we stand before an almighty God that tells us in Romans 3.23 as sinners. For it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Here's the beautiful thing about the cross. The cross sits on a level piece of ground. That each of us standing on that stand at the same level because each of us have sinned. From Billy Graham to me to you in the pew to those that will follow us, there's one thing we know for certain about each of us, and that's that we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've all fallen short of that mark. We've all fallen short of loving God. We've all fallen short of putting our total faith and trust in God and what He has for us. We've all done as Adam and Eve and said, I hear you, God, but... Everything that follows the bud is sin and separation from God. So we've all done that. The Bible tells us we've all done that. So we all face a penalty. What is the penalty? Eternity, separated from God in a place called hell. Where there's gnashing of teeth, there's torment forever. There is no great big party. You're not going to be hanging out with your friends. You're not going to be sitting in a corner watching TV. You're not going to be doing all the things that you think are so wonderful. No, what you're going to be doing is experiencing for the first time in all of your life, being in a place that there's complete torment and there is zero love. Can you imagine what it would be like to live in a place that there is zero love? I'm not just talking love from God, but love from anybody. You're all alone. You're reminded, I'm sure, of those things that you have done. You're reminded, I believe, of what you could have. Because if you remember the one that was in, in, in Hades, said, please, could you just send someone to my brother? So I think there's a recognition of what you could have had. There's also a recognition, I believe, that there is no way out. You see, what the Bible tells us about hell is it's forever. Ever. Once you enter, you cannot get out. Fortunately, it also tells us that about heaven. Once we enter, we'll never leave. But we all start off on that level ground. We've sinned to come short of the glory of God. You know, the Bible then moves over to 623. It tells us that sin in our life, the reason I know that we're going to spend eternity in hell for it if something's not done, because Romans 623 says, for the wages of sin is death, but, but, that's that word again, but the gift of God, it is eternal life, and it's in Christ Jesus our Lord. How do I know the table represents forgiveness for us? Because I was in desperate need of a Savior because of sin in my life. And God provided that Savior, it says to me, as a free gift that all I have to do is accept it. And those wages of sin, the death and sin, go away. Go away. There's life in Christ. 
in Christ. So, so the wages of sin have disappeared for those that know Jesus Christ because of this forgiveness. Because of this forgiveness. But you also know it says that when did that happen? When did God choose to do it? When did God decide? Was it after we cleaned ourselves up and were presentable? Was it after we had decided for ourselves that we were going to, to find God in this life and we were going to search Him out? Is that when He decided to do it for you? For me? No, Romans 5.8. <laughs> Romans 5.8 answers that for us whenever it says, But God demonstrates His own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You want to remember forgiveness. Remember the fact that while you were still sinning, while you were still choosing to eat from the tree that was forbidden, while you were still choosing to do those things, God said, I love you. I love you. There's only one earthly love I can think of like that. That's a mother for a son or daughter. I'm so grateful that mom and dad loved me when I was a lover. But I'm even more grateful that God loved me when I was unlovable. You see, because of that sin in my life I chose to commit, it was sending me to a place called hell. Even though I was in the middle of that, God looked down for all of eternity and said, I love him. I love him so much, I'm going to pour the blood of my son Jesus Christ out on him. I'm going to give him the opportunity for redemption, for satisfaction of his sin, and to be loved by me and to be in fellowship with me. See, that's the beauty of what we are to remember. How does that happen in my life? You saw a picture of that this morning. You saw a picture of that. It tells us in Romans 10, 9 and 10, that the way that happens in your life is you recognize the fact that you need a Savior. You recognize the fact that, that there's a penalty for your sin called, called a place called hell. You recognize the fact that Jesus Christ died on a cross, not because you were good enough, but because you were not good enough. He died on a cross for you. And he tells us in Romans 10, 9 and 10, he says this, that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Christ, or uh, that, uh, believe in your heart that God has raised him, talking about Christ from the dead, you will be saved. What's required of you? What's required of you for salvation? It's belief. The very first thing that's required of you in salvation is belief. Belief in the fact that you're a sinner. Belief in the fact that there's one Savior and His name is Jesus Christ. And then putting all of your trust in that and confessing with your mouth that belief. Public. There are no secret Christians. I'm a firm believer there are no secret Christians. If you're a secret Christian, what does Jesus say about you? If you will not confess me before others, I will not confess you before my Father. That's what he says. So there are no secret Christians. You must confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ that he died for you and that God raised him from the dead. Is what it says. Why do I know that? Because verse 10 says, For with the heart one believes unto righteousness. That's the inward change. With the heart one believes unto righteousness. With the mouth confession is made unto salvation. What happens inside must come out here. Confession. So, First thing we see at the table is forgiveness. Aren't you glad for the forgiveness of God in your life? See, as we partake of this this morning, you should think of that which you've been brought from. <laughs> That's an awesome thing. When I think back of what God saved me from, what He forgave me, forgave me from. But not only do we see that there is forgiveness, we also see that there is fellowship at this table. Very quickly, it says in 1 Corinthians 1, 9, says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
See, as we approach the table and partake of that which lays there on the table, the bread and the cup, we're to remember forgiveness, but we're also to remember the fact that it now puts us into fellowship with God, with Christ. How different, how different should we live our life knowing that we are fellowshipping, we're spending time with, we're in the presence of Christ every waking moment. You see, when you partake of this bread and this cup, it should remind you There is not a second, a nanosecond in your life that if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior that you're not in fellowship with Him unless there is sin in your life. See, it should give you a whole new perspective on sin in your life because the sin in your life separates you from fellowship with Jesus Christ. It tells here that God is faithful, which means if you're not in fellowship with Christ, who's unfaithful? God? No. Us. It says God is faithful. It is by Him you were called into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So we're called to be in fellowship. We're called to be in fellowship with Him through Jesus Christ. We recognize that while we're at the table partaking. We also recognize, as it says in Philippians, it says, But what things were to gain to me, these, these I have counted lost for Christ. We realize in that seventh verse of the third chapter, Paul starts writing and says, these things that I've always had in my life, I now count as a loss. I count as a loss for Christ. He says, yes, indeed, I count all things for loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. He says, to me, it's worth losing everything to know the excellence of Christ Jesus in my life. He says, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Dung is the way that that was translated in the older scriptures says, I count it as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. As we approach the table and we partake, we're to think about this righteousness that we're given because of what Christ did in the breaking of his body and the spilling of his blood. He says that I may know him in verse 10 and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. And if by any means I may obtain to the resurrection from the dead. You know, the table shows us forgiveness. The table shows us fellowship. It shows us fellowship with an almighty God, but it also shows us in the fellowship with Jesus Christ, we must suffer as he suffered. But there's a gain. There's a gain to the suffering because he ends up by saying, I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. These few fleeting moments of life on earth, if there's suffering in it, what does it compare to to the resurrection from the dead to be in the presence of God in an almighty place called heaven forever? You see, when we partake, we're to think of the fact that we have forgiveness, that we fellowship together with Christ in his body because we are part of his body. But we're also to remember we have fellowship coming that there is no comparison on this earth to none whatsoever. And it begins with the fellowship through Christ and what he did here. But then finally, the last thing we think of is that future, that future. John 14, 1 sums it up very well. It says this, let not your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled for believing, uh, you believe in God, (laughs) believe also in me. And this is Jesus saying this. He says, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. See, as we partake this morning, remember the forgiveness, remember the fellowship, but remember God has a future for you. 
There is a future for you that's represented in the body of Christ here. Because of what he has done for us, he's made you a promise. And has God ever broken a promise he's made? No. The promise that God made through the words of his only begotten son, the voice of his only begotten son, through the pen of the Holy Spirit was this. I'm leaving. I'm leaving. That promise came true. I'm going to a place to prepare for you a home, which is what he's doing now. And then he made the promise that one day I'm coming back to get you, family. I'm coming back to get you, church. I'm coming back to take you home that where I am, there you may be also. That's why they call it heaven, because Jesus is there. And we're going to be there when we approach the table this morning. You partake of the bread and the cup. Remember, no matter how difficult it is right now, no matter how tough life is right now, there's a promise. There's a promise that one day you're going to walk the streets of gold. You're going to hop and skip like you never have. You're finally going to be able to sing to the top of your lungs to the glory of God. You're going to join in with the angels singing holy, 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 the only hymn they know how to play in heaven. Is there another one that needs to be played? I don't think so. See, there will be a day. There will be a day you will see your Savior face to face. As you partake this morning, remember that you've been forgiven. For to partake of this, you must have been forgiven. What do I mean by that? To participate with us this morning, you must have put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You must have turned your life over to Him. You must have symbolized that through immersion baptism. What do I mean by that? You must have stood in public before others and said, I profess Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, as you heard Michelle do this morning. You must be placed under the water and rise again a new person. Do I have anything against sprinkling and those things? I personally do not. But the Bible does. The Bible says that you must be baptized. That's baptismo. It is not sprinkolo, which is actually not a Greek word, by the way. It's baptized. Why? Because Christ was. Because when we see the examples in the Bible, they pull the chariot off the road because the water was deep enough to put them under. Had it been sprinkling or those sorts of things, they would have used the bottle of water or whatever they had in the chariot at the time, which they did not. So you must have been baptized. To participate this morning, you must know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You must have been baptized into the body because that shows obedience to the Lord and Savior that we are recognizing this morning. So you must recognize that, that forgiveness. That also puts you into fellowship with the body, which gives you the right. It also helps us remember this morning that there is a future in Jesus Christ to come as we partake of this. So as we approach this throne of grace this morning, together around this table, we're going to Remember, let's start by thanking Him for those things as we take our communion together. Thank you for joining us here at Revealed Truth. I would like to personally invite you to visit with us at Morris Creek Baptist Church. We're located at 3107 Union Chapel Road in Curry, North Carolina. Our Sunday school starts at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings and is followed at 11 o'clock with our Sunday morning worship service. We also have a time of prayer and Bible study on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. We look forward to seeing you soon.